And the way we deal with our enemies is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, to be sober spirit, to be on the alert because our adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in the faith, knowing the truth that relates to your circumstance from Scripture. Welcome to this Monday edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And our teacher is Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church. Greg, today we get back to our study in Nehemiah chapter 2. Yes, we do, Dave. And as we look at Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to see effectively the beginning of the opposition to the work and workers of God. But the Lord is in control. So let's turn to our passage in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, today's message is one you'll want to share with a friend. Just tell them to visit etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. They'll find today's broadcast as well as a host of other archived broadcasts waiting there for them. Our web address again is simply etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. That's a little unusual. And I believe it points to the distinct possibility that the king had appointed him the governor of Judah. I believe that's what had happened. That's quite possible. Indeed, in chapter 5, verse 14, this is before the wall's done, 52 days, it's before it's done. Chapter 5, I'll read it, verse 14. Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor, the wall hasn't even been finished yet. It's 52 days to get it done. This is during that time. In the land of Judah, that from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the king Artaxerxes, for 12 years, neither I or my kinsmen had eaten the governor's food allowance. So it's apparent that he had probably been appointed as the governor of Judah. So he's got a army group, he's got protection there, and he's got horsemen. So he's got something that would be noticed by the people who are ruling the area for, for under Persia. They would know something's going on. Here's a guy coming. We heard the word. He's got letters. He's approved. He's got army guys. He's got the guys protecting him. He's got horsemen. He's coming. So they've heard it, but they don't know the reason, the exact reason. Okay. They know the basic reason, which everyone knows, but the exact reason what Nehemiah is going to do, what God has put on his heart. He hasn't revealed that yet. And notice what happens. Verse 10. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. The term very displeasing could be translated, it was a great evil. It was a great evil to them. So we have these two people named here, Sanballat and Tobiah. And we're going to see they're basically government officials. And when they hear about Nehemiah, he's not there yet. They hear about his coming. It was a great evil to them that somebody would come to seek the welfare of Israel. That's all they know about it. And it's a great evil to them. Now, in our study of Nehemiah, we here now begin to see the opposition arise. And the reality is there are enemies of Nehemiah and the Jews. And who are these enemies? We see them here because it was a great evil to them that someone came to help. Indeed, we'll see later on their opposition introduced directly. Let's look at that. Chapter 2, verse 19. But when Sandad the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, 
They mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Hey, they're going to start their opposition now. They're going to pull that card as we'll see. You know, we're going to call the king and say, you're rebelling against him. That's worthy of death. Are you rebelling against the king? Then look down chapter 4. We see their wickedness increasing. Now it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. Chapter 4, verse 1. Very angry and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from dusty rubble, even the burnt ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, even what they were building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. This is a serious offense, sin, to demoralize God's people when they're about God's business. And the evil Sandot, Tobiah, and these guys are doing that. And look at later on, verse 7 of chapter 4. Now it came about when Sandot, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, that the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. It says there, and all of them conspired together to come and fight, fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Get a disturbance. Oh, Nehemiah's not doing well. He's not holding the Jews down. Not a good governor. Take him out, right? But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up our guard against them day and night. How about that? And then look down in verse 11. And our enemies said, they're enemies. They are enemies. We do have enemies, by the way, in the church. They come in the form of flesh, but we know Satan is our enemy, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We have enemies, but our battle is against the spiritual force, Satan and his cohorts. Therefore, we don't fight the battle as if the enemies are what we are going against. We fight a spiritual battle by faith in Christ, as we will see. He said here, our enemies said they will not know and see us until we come upon them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. Wow, they really want to stop it. And it came out when the Jews that lived near them came and told us ten times they will come up against us every place where you may turn. Then look down in chapter 6. Now it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Gershom the Arab. There you go, there's your guys. And the rest of our what? Enemies enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, that Sanballat Gresham sent a message saying, come to me, let us meet together. He's going to try to woo him to come to him, basically to, to, to take him out. And you look down to verse 9, it says, for all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking we will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. And one other passage, look at verse 13 in chapter 6. This is a bad guy that got hired, bad prophet. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin, so that they might have an evil report that they could reproach me. Remember, O oh my God, Tobiah and Sanbel, according to these works of theirs, and also Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Even use the religious system 
to try and frighten him. So then, these guys are enemies. And they are introduced in our passage here. When they hear about it, it was a great evil to them that someone would help the Jews. Now at this point, let's take a look at these guys back here. You have Sanballat and Tobiah, right? Who are these guys? Now you'll have Gershom, the Arab mentioned, and then the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites also mentioned later on as part of that group of enemies, those who are of evil kindred spirit with Sanballat and Tobiah. But who are these two guys mentioned in our passage? Well, first of all, Sanballat the Horonite, the name Sanballat in Akkadian means sin has given life. That's interesting. Some say it means bramble bush or enemy in secret. Well, he certainly was enemy in secret. That's interesting also. But in Hebrew, it simply means strength. It means strength. That's probably what his name meant. And notice it speaks of him three times in Nehemiah as Sanballat the Horonite. The Horonite. Twice in chapter 2 and once in chapter 13. And then the rest of the time he's just mentioned as Sanballat. So what do we know about this guy? Well, first of all, he is the Horonite. Well, that could be a reference to the area of Beth Horan, which is a town in Ephraim. But more likely, it is a reference to Horanim, which is in Moab. That would make him a Moabite. In chapter 13, we know about Sanballat, that when Elishab, the high priest's grandsons, sinned and intermarried one of Sanballat's daughters. There's a problem there. You'll see that. And Nehemiah is going to expose that in chapter 13. It's very clear also that in Nehemiah, Sanballat was some type of official holding high office. Some say he was the governor of Samaria, but some say maybe that was his son, Sanballat, that was officially that, not sure. But he held an official position. Now, the Samaritans were a mix of Jews and Assyrians from their first capture. That's what they were. They were mixed blood. And the Jews didn't recognize them as brothers and sisters. They hated them, right? Remember the good Samaritan? They hated them. So it's obvious here in our book, no matter what he is, that he has a lot of power. He's a powerful official. Later on, Nehemiah is going to say the officials. He's going to say it twice. He's going to say it in relationship to the officials of those who are rebuilding and the officials that are not part of that, okay? And that's how it gets kind of confusing, but it speaks of leaders or rulers. That's the word. So you got Sanballat. He's the head guy. He's the head bad guy, and he's got power. He's got power, and his little sidekick Tobias got power too because he can write letters and defame Nehemiah and cause problems, right? And we'll see that later on. So who is this guy, his cohort, Tobiah, the Ammonite official? Well, it's interesting, the term Tobiah, the name means Yah is my God. That's a shortening for Yahweh. The I Am is my God. That's his name. It's a good name. The I Am is my God. That's a great name, right? But as we'll see, he is an enemy of God because he is an enemy of God's people, as we'll see in Nehemiah. But yet he does and is one who infiltrates the Jews religiously, probably a false brother, okay? Later on in chapter 13, we'll see Elishib, The high priest did evil, literally, for Tobiah. And he gave Tobiah a space in the temple area to hang out and live. Not a good thing. Nehemiah had to kick him out and all his goods, by the way, and he does that in chapter 13. So then, with his name and his association with the temple, you'd think, hey, this is a good guy. But he is a very bad guy. He is a very bad guy. And indeed to it, he is referred in this context as one of the enemies. Now, did you notice also he is Tobiah the Ammonite? 
The Moabites and the Ammonites were the offspring of Lot's sin, and they were continual thorns in the side of Israel. And he is an Ammonite official, or literally servant, so he's some type of an Ammonite official in the government, in a sense. We'll see he has power also. But we see from Scripture that the Moabites and the Ammonites seem to be the head of all those who hate the Lord and hate his people. Turn to Psalm 83. We see this, Psalm 83. This guy's a sneaky Ammonite official. He's pretending. Psalm 83. A song, a psalm of Asap. O God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent and do not be still. For behold, thine enemies make an uproar. The psalmist knew they were God's enemies first and foremost, okay? And that means they're led by Satan, right, in his domain, doing his will, right? Those who hate thee have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against thy people, and they conspire against thy treasured ones. They have said, come, let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one mind against thee and make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria has joined with them. They have become help to the children of Lot. That would be the Ammonites and the Moabites. Selah. So then, we have these two government officials with high power, Sanballat and Tobias, introduced back in our passage, verse 10, Nehemiah chapter 2. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, that's about Nehemiah's on his way, it was very displeasing or a great evil that someone would come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. These are enemies. And again, I mention this, you know, although enemies manifest in human flesh, Our ultimate enemy is Satan, and because of Satan, we will be hated because uh, those in his domain hate Christ, and thus they will hate us. As the Lord Jesus said, if the world hates you, now Satan's the god of this world, by the way, know it has hated me before it hated you, John 15, 18. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. The Lord Jesus understood and shared that the world's going to hate you. We need to expect it. We know from Second Thessalonians chapter 3 that there are evil men that were out after Paul. Paul wanted prayer for protection, and the evil one was behind that, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. We know Satan's servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. We see that in 2 Corinthians 11. But it is ultimately Satan, and the way we deal with our enemies is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, to be sober spirit, to be on the alert, because our adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in the faith, knowing the truth that relates to your circumstance from Scripture. So then you've got these bad guys here, and they are held captive by Satan to do his will, like we see in 2 Timothy chapter 2. They are the enemies of Nehemiah, the Jews, and those Jews who desire to serve the Lord. And they are introduced here, and they're upset. Now this is important because evidently 
when they hear things, they act upon them. And we're going to see Nehemiah is very wise in a minute in terms of what he does and the information he lets out concerning the ministry that God has him doing. So remember, we have an enemy, Satan, and we're going to face opposition. If you want to serve the Lord, you're going to have trouble, right? Remember that. Yet greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So then we know we'll suffer for righteousness' sake, doing what is right. Uh, We'll be persecuted. We know those things. We know that. But yet, as Paul mentioned, he says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed. And he does, and he will if you trust him. So how are God's leaders to motivate willing yet discouraged servants to be about very difficult or overwhelming tasks? Well, first of all, you need to be personally yourself trusting the Lord and exhibiting faith in those contexts and stepping out in that. Secondly, you need to expect opposition. But notice here, third, we need to wisely analyze the specific needs in light of that opposition. Indeed, Nehemiah secretly inspected the walls, being careful not to trip off his enemies that they might not discourage the people before he could come to them and encourage them to join in this good work again. Verse 11, so I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. He made it. He's there now. And guess what? Nehemiah doesn't jump into the work. He doesn't pull his hammer out right away. He doesn't do it. And he hasn't told anyone, as we will see, what the Lord has put on his heart. He hasn't told anyone. Notice what he does next. And I rose at night, I and a few men with me, and I did not tell anyone what God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. We're going to see there is a time for cautiousness and secrecy in the Lord. There is a time for that. There's a time for wisdom. The Lord doesn't tell us everything. He gives us what he wants us to know. He gives us and reveals what he wants us to know. He says, putting my mind to do for Jerusalem, and there was no animal with me except the animal which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and the gates which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall, Then I entered at the valley gate again and returned, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. So then we have an example of godly wisdom here in the context of faith. Notice he says, I did not tell anyone what God was putting on my mind to do for Jerusalem. Nehemiah is tight-lipped. He has not shared specifically what God has put on his heart to do for Jerusalem. He told no one. And he goes on this secret tour at night of the walls. He goes on a secret tour. Verse 12, And I rose at night, and a few men, I did not tell anyone what God was putting on my mind to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out by night by the valley gate. It's secretive, being secretive. A valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were consumed by fire. So Nehemiah exits the city proper of Jerusalem through the valley gate, and he comes down on the west side and is traveling south, inspecting the walls in the direction of the dragon's well and the dung gate or refuse gate on the bottom of the city, was inspecting the walls, which were broken down and consumed by fire. And he is on an inspection tour, but it's secret. 
Verse 14, Then I passed on to the fountain gate, the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So he had gone down south and east, and now he's going to go northbound around the walls. And there's much rubble. The donkey can't get through. There's much rubble from the walls. And so he goes on foot, and he inspects the wall, and then he entered through the valley gate again and returned. Verse 13, So I went up by night by the ravine and inspected the wall, then I entered the valley gate again and returned. Now there's a couple of things here that are really important. First of all, Nehemiah is surveying for himself what needs to be done. You need to know what needs to be done in the context of ministry, what God is doing. And now you have to survey, obviously, through the Word of God in light of the body of Christ and apply that across the body of Christ to see what needs to be done. So he's inspecting. He's inspecting. And Nehemiah is doing his due diligence before he goes to the people. He's going to see what needs to be done personally. He's going to have a personal understanding of it before he comes and talks to the people. And notice there's another thing that is so important, and I mentioned this earlier, but Nehemiah did not tell anyone what the Lord was putting on his heart. And I arose at night, I and a few men with me, and I did not tell anyone, that's verse 12, what the Lord was putting in my mind to do for Jerusalem. And then look at verse 16. This is the result. And the officials, that's the officials like Sanballat, Tobias, all those guys, those rulers, that's the bad guys did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor, this is secondary, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and then these are the Jewish officials, and the rest of those who did the work. So first of all, he didn't let the bad guys know, Sambalat, Tobias, and those others. He didn't want his enemies to know what he's doing. But he also had not yet told the people who would do the work what he is doing. Now, why wouldn't he have done that? Why wouldn't he, when he first got there, said, let's gather around, I'm here, this is why I'm here to help you. I want to talk to you about this. Why didn't he do it? I understand him not telling the unbelieving enemies what the Lord is putting on his heart, not letting them know. I understand that. But why would he not tell the people? Well, here, Nehemiah was exhibiting great wisdom leaders can learn from, and we can learn from, by the way. You see, sometimes it's not wise to share everything with everybody, even with those who eventually you will share it with. Because he says, as not yet. He was planning on doing so, okay? Because it would have, in this context, given the enemy an opportunity to thwart the conversation that Nehemiah would have with the Jews to encourage them to join the work. And he is being wise not to do so. You see, if they had heard about this, and then they would have tried certainly to discourage the Jews to not agree to do the work, to not enter into it, they would have used their tactics, which we see throughout here, to stop them from even agreeing to start back on the work. And folks, it is not sin not to share things at times. The Lord doesn't tell us everything. He's not being deceptive or sinful. God is righteous. Nehemiah trusted the Lord and he was being wise. He was careful not to tip off the enemies. We know loose lips sink ships. You know that from the military context, right? If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints... 
All our audio resources are available at no cost to you, thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, as we close today's broadcast, what are some of your closing thoughts for us? Well, Dave, as we saw, Nehemiah was a man who led first by doing his due diligence and personally inspecting what needed to be done before he went to the people to encourage them to help. And Dave, God's leaders need to get in the mix before they call upon others to serve. Well, we're not done with our passage yet, so make plans to join us tomorrow as we continue this wonderful study of Nehemiah. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Thank you.